Welcome to the second episode of the Navigate podcast. This podcast has been created and organised by Merck to help you better navigate and understand the evolving landscape of the UK's national health system. During this series, we're focusing on integrated care systems or ICSs and what it means across a few therapy areas. We'll also be providing recommendations on how you can support the optimal delivery of care. I'm your host, Amira Amin, and today we're going to chat about ICSs, their direction of travel in 2022, and what it means for the delivery of care. I'm joined by Anusha Patel, Regional Home Care Lead for the East Midlands and high-cost pharmacist at Kettering General Hospital, and Connor Burke, CEO of Urgent Health UK. So Anusha and Connor, as you both know, the NHS is facing a number of strategic and operational challenges that it needs to address in 2022. To start today's conversation, if you could both share your perspectives on what you see as the key priorities for the NHS over the coming 12 months. Connor, can you go first? Yeah, both 2020 and 2021 were really, really challenging years in terms of how we managed the pandemic. And as we start 2022, clearly the focus is going to be on four different things, as I understand it. Clearing the backlog. So we know the backlog now has in the region of about 6 million patients waiting for assessment or treatment, which is clearly exceptional in the history of the NHS. And we know it's going to take a number of years to do that. So that's number one priority. But to clear the backlog, you need capacity within acute hospitals, both from a workforce and also from a kind of theatre and workflow perspective. I think the second priority is how do you enable and optimise capacity within hospitals? And, And that requires a real focus on urgent emergency care and keeping people away from hospital if they can otherwise be avoided for that. Transforming primary care services, transforming community services and urgent care services so that they're keeping people at home, out of hospital and well and healthy is the second big priority, particularly for people with long-term conditions and frail older people. None of the above two is going to be possible without a capable and a resilient workforce. So we know workforce vacancies are at an all-time high with over 85,000 clinical full-time equivalent vacancies in the NHS, added to the fact that we're going to need extra people both to do the vaccination programme going through and continuing in 2022 and also to recover the backlog. The third priority is focusing on the health and well-being of the workforce and then probably the, the final one, and, and arguably the least important, is the reform agenda. So the establishment of new commissioning, strategic commissioning arrangements through the integrated care systems, but more so the establishment and the operating model for providers around collaborative arrangements between trusts, but also then how do we establish place-based partnerships between different bits of the out-of-hospital system, primary care community, the voluntary sector and local government. Great, thank you. Um, I wanted to now move on to, you know, we've discussed the overarching strategic and operational priorities for the NHS in the coming year, which provides some context for the rest of today's conversation. I now want to go into more detail on one specific element that's been raised, which is the integrated care system agenda. 
we know that ICSs are partnerships that bring together providers and commissioners of the NHS service across a geographical area with local authorities and other local partners to collectively plan health and care services to meet the needs of their population. Connor, I wanted to ask, what do you think integrated care systems could mean for patients and the NHS in reality? I mean, it's a great question. And I like the way that you use the word could, because I think, you know, we don't quite know yet, really. And so we're all in this guessing game as to exactly what ICSs are going to be. Clearly, there's guidance and there is clear policy on what we think they're going to be. But the reality often is quite different, as we saw over the last 20 years with different NHS structures. A lot will depend on on how much power and influence ICS leaders and boards will be given. At one level, they can simply be a convener of providers by bringing providers together, as you say, in collaboratives and in partnerships, helping them to work together, helping them to really think about how they manage budget and medicines and pathways and increasingly integrate services. And at the other level, they could be equivalent to old health authorities where they effectively are directly managing providers and intervening when there is an issue or a performance requirement that isn't being met. And I think we don't know yet exactly on which bit of the spectrum ICSs are are going to operate until they actually come into place later this year. And it will take them some time. And actually, it may well turn out that they operate in different ways according to local philosophies, local cultures, regional priorities. So that having been said, what could they be? What they could be, and looking really, really positively, is be the real integrators in the system to be able to both leverage the productivity opportunities that acute providers could bring by by greater integration. So we're already seeing a lot of acute providers now with joint boards, with lots of hospital sites being merged through a joint management team. We're seeing that in East London, we're seeing it in Northwest London, where we're getting super trusts come into play, as well as in the Northwest of the country with things like the Northern Care Alliance, now becoming the largest foundation trust within the country. So there's leveraging all of those opportunities around further provider productivity which in itself will lead to questions about what does that mean for drugs management? How do we standardise practice? How do we ensure quality outcomes across bigger, larger footprints? The other real opportunity is how do ICSs really play the role as honest broker, bringing together, again, primary care, general practice, local authority and social care, into the place agenda, ICSs won't be successful in delivering better, high quality and cost effective care unless they can get local providers to work more efficiently, collaboratively together and to stop competing. So we're all in this together and we all need to make it work. I guess the final thing really that I would encourage ICSs to be the best they can be is understanding the assets that they have in the local system, whether that be workforce, technology or estate, and thinking through how they can best optimise that for the benefit of local patients and people. And that in itself will mean that they start to really encourage further 
alignment and further integration across different functions and organisations. And just one thing more to add with regards to ICS development or formation is that within the home care market, we're now looking at outsourcing medicines and looking at new models of delivery of medicines. And that may be actually delivering secondary care medicines to community pharmacies. So there's a huge gap here now that we need to upskill community pharmacists to have that understanding and education of the medicines that we prescribe within a hospital setting that are normally classed as double red that may now be green or amber when we're looking at it from a formal perspective that will be delivered to community pharmacy. And can you touch a little bit more maybe on how... um health and services are going to be paid for under the ICSs and how that changes as well in the new model? I think we've already seen a movement away from national tariff uh, and to block contracts. We're also seeing blended contracts with aligned outcome incentives. So my my sense is there'll be a much greater focus on pathways. There'll be a much greater focus on outcomes rather than separate and disaggregated and fragmented service lines. So what that will mean is that for suppliers into the industry uh, or into the, the market, clearly they should be looking at patient focus and personalised healthcare, the impact that can have around outcomes for individual patients, rather than thinking through how they can tactically supply to a little bit of the pathway. So as a strategic commissioner, I think you'd be really interested in combining all of the assets across a pathway and a supply chain in a way that maximizes the best possible care for populations and individuals within it. I think we've got some way to go before that becomes really real and operational, but there are some places across the country that are already testing that model of care and it will only accelerate as ICSs become more effective and mature. And if we look at how integrated care systems have been developing to date, one thing that needs to happen is for Parliament to pass a health and care bill, which will put ICSs on a statutory footing. This is expected to happen by July and will remove the legal barrier that currently exists. Anusha, what are some of the other key upcoming milestones within the NHS? In terms of some of the key milestones, I think Connor mentioned already a pathway is how do we address that? How do we educate people to develop a pathway that allows clinicians to prescribe a patient the medicine that they actually really want to give them? But the pathway development will take some time. So in my experience, to develop a pathway for dermatology, gastroenterology or rheumatology is taking me around six months. We need to be mindful of that when medicines are coming to market, but we also need to be mindful that it also takes time for a medicine to become on a formulary. Until it's on a formulary, I can't do my pathway. One of the central aims of the ICSs is, is to help reduce variation and inequalities in care and outcomes. How do you think ICSs can help to reduce this further? The variation and equality of access of medicine use is very apparent at the moment. And so the development of ICSs will certainly support that because we're now looking at things at a wider level. We're not looking at things as a commissioner as telling us to do something and giving us that, I would say, yes, (laughs) to do something because we're now looking after the finances ourselves. I certainly feel that there is certainly lots of inequality at the moment in all specialities because I do cover all of them and I can see them at the moment. 
as a regional lead, I can see some of the issues that are apparent in certain specialities because of patients and and where they live. And it will be because they may not have that specific contact or healthcare professional that is able to negotiate some of the things that I've already mentioned regarding having collaboration with your CCG, talking about the blue tech issues that consultants may face. But what I've done is work really hard to help the clinicians ensure that they can provide that medication for that patient when they need to. And it may take 12 months. So equity variation is is a huge thing. And getting it right first time, GERFT are doing a really good program at the moment in all specialities to address that. The recommendations that are offered throughout those reports are going to take some time. So it's about thinking now, what can we do to support those recommendations? But also, is there anything else we can do on top of those to accelerate those. So one thing I am doing as chair of my National Dermatology Pharmacist Network is linking in to my bodies as governing bodies because they've recommended that pharmacists become consultant pharmacists to be independent prescribers and run clinics because I feel that our role is underappreciated at the moment or, or just undervalued. Connor, I have a question to you around the the pharmaceutical industry's mindset and how that might need to change when it comes with engaging um, with various ICSs in the future. Yeah, so I do quite a lot of work with pharmaceutical providers in the various different roles that I have, but I'm always quite surprised that commercially they focus very much on their product and on how they really position products and sales. And I suppose coming from an NHS background, I'm more interested in relationship rather than somebody trying to sell a product to me. So what's different in in ICSs is is that the real challenge is going to be around how do we give patients exactly what they need in order to be able to keep them as well and healthy as possible, whether that's on the secondary prevention agenda or the primary prevention agenda or around keeping people healthy and well after they've had some sort of acute intervention. So the lessons for pharma for me would be understand your customer really understand what their problems are, try and walk in their shoes from understanding exactly what their priorities are. So their priorities won't be about, particularly at a strategic commissioning level, won't be about buying medicines. Their problems will be about how do I manage demand? How do I get people out of hospital quickly? How do I make sure they don't come back in to hospital when if they can be avoided? How do I make sure that my workforce is capable, resilient and responding to things as they arise? How do I make sure that the backlog that I've got is going to be completed and delivered within the timescale that I've got? So the problem lists go on. And I think the trick is for pharma to say, how do I understand those problems? How do I develop a relationship that is authentic where I I'm wanting to help solve those problems. And then what is the bridge between the problem and my product and solution that can help my NHS customer deliver on their unmet needs? So hopefully, again, that that makes some, some sense. No, it does. Thank you. I think that's great advice. Finally, one more question I have for you both. What are your top two to three recommendations for ICSs right now, which will make the biggest difference in July? So my top recommendation would be to understand all of your assets, number one. So 
ICS's new organisations, it appears that a lot of the chief officer, chief execs and chairs are relatively new people in the system. So I think really understanding what assets you've got, both in terms of services, organisations, people, leaders, community, and really getting a view on that so that you can think through how can you best use, exploit and and maximise those assets would be a, a really, really important thing to do. I think leveraging the data would be my kind of second priority. So how do you understand what are the needs of your community? Again, we've had for lots of years public health needs assessment, but they haven't been done at an ICS level as far as I'm aware yet. So really understanding actually where the gaps in care are, where the inequalities are, when the inequities are in the system. Because in order to solve some of the problems I've mentioned before, we're going to have to really target specific bits of the population and provide more effective segmented solutions, uh, hence population health management being very popular at the moment. But you can only do that through quite sophisticated data and risk stratification. So that would be my, my second one. And in no particular order, I guess my my third one would be actually starting to set the tone around collaborative relationships. So I think that's going to be really, really important. The NHS isn't driven necessarily by policy and money all the time. It's driven often by actually behaviours, attitudes and mindsets. So it's going to take quite a long time for old mindsets to change. And old mindsets were very much driven by competition, very much driven by income rather than outcomes. And so how do we start that journey of helping everybody to find a common purpose, using data to identify need, and then identifying common solutions that we can all operate and contribute on together so that we can have the best possible chance of making a difference. Anisha, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I'll just follow on to say I'm the new mindset, possibly, to say, you know, I I struggle with this in the NHS too. When I present new solutions it's often a no I think we need to change that mindset as to it's not a no it's it's a no because of and then give me a solution to help implement the solution that I'm proposing because the no would be is because of resource capacity we understand capacity is an issue but I'm giving you a solution that would will help that So let's be mindful of that another recommendation is if we're looking at the future. Be more mindful around the digital era and the fact that e-prescribing is happening. I've recently done a pilot at Catherine General Hospital to be the first trust to e-prescribe home care, which means that I link my EPMA system, which is what hospitals often use, to home care, to then allow them to be able to have a prescription within five minutes, as opposed to five weeks or six weeks and our KPI working time is actually seven working days which we know is not apparent or we're not being adhered to at the moment just because of the staffing issues capacity and home care company capacity so be mindful that actually the NHS may accept more of this innovation which I feel I think industry have felt that they're not able to offer things or solutions because they feel that the NHS is not equipped to, I feel like we are now. 
thank you so much Anusha and Connor for your time on today's podcast it will be really interesting to see how the ICS agenda continues to evolve in 2022 as always if you have any comments on this episode or would like to know more about a particular topic please leave us a comment below you can also subscribe to our LinkedIn channel for future podcast episodes thank you for listening to another episode of the Navigate podcast goodbye